Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles have fallen to 10-2 and two as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 122. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to discuss our thoughts after a tough loss for the Eagles out in the Pacific Northwest against the Seahawks. There's a lot to unpack from that game, so Greg and I will hash it all out and talk about the test the Eagles face this week with the L.A. Rams. This week in Scouting Report, I want to look at a rookie who has been a really effective player for that L.A. team, especially in the role that he's been used in the most. We'll get to that later in the show, but before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. Greg Cosell and I break down that loss in Seattle and preview the big matchup with L.A. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here for Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, we are now just under 24 hours removed from the Eagles' tough loss out in Seattle, and it's almost, I've said it all day, an unfamiliar feeling for, for fans here in Philadelphia. It's been over 10 weeks, two and a half months, since the Eagles had last lost a game. Uh, after reviewing the tape on Monday morning, uh, which you and I both did, initial takeaways coming out of the game, did, was there anything that was different based off what you saw when we watched the game live last night? You know, I, I was so anxious, and it's the first thing I did when I got in this morning at 545 yeah, after right. not a lot of sleep, Exactly. Um, was I wanted to look at their offense because obviously they only put up 10 points, and, and we saw the obvious things. You know, we saw Wentz miss some receivers. Those were the obvious things you could tell watching the game. But I was real curious if they were handled, one, physically, and if and tactically were their opportunities. And I actually came away, Fran, from watching their offensive tape feeling better than I did when I drove home last night because I thought there were a lot of missed opportunities. Oh. Carson Wentz did not have a good game. I thought he was tentative and uncertain just with his decision-making, and he obviously was not as accurate as he's been throughout the season even on some completions that he made were not great throws. So I actually came away feeling, and we were talking about it in, the, in my matchup room with, with my guys today because they all went through it as well because it was a very compelling game. Yeah. And the feeling was that if they were to play Seattle again, they'd feel very comfortable offensively about matching up to this defense because there were so many opportunities that were presented to them that they just didn't take advantage of. You know, for many reasons. Yeah, I mean, there were things that were dialed up by the coaches. That, yeah. You know, and again, we're talking – because, look, every team in every game, you're going to have missed throws, you're going to have dropped passes, missed reads in the run game, missed blocks, uh, you know, blown coverages on defense, missed tackles. It's about limiting those mistakes. So right. Everybody's got them, but there were so many opportunities in this game, Greg. I mean, you, you, you have the overthrow to Nelson Aguilar on the, on the second drive that everybody points to. Yeah, Carson missed them. Uh, and, and Doug Peterson talked about it again today. Yeah, he, he overthrew him. He, he the ball him. sailed on him. Uh, but then you go and you look at the dropped screen pass by Jay Ajayi where it was nothing but Stefan Wisniewski and green grass out in front of him. You look at the, the throw to Zach Ertz down in the reds on the long run by LeGarrette Blunt that put them on the goal line that came back because of a right. holding penalty. You have to settle for three. You know, just a lot of points where you look at it and you say, man, like if, if two of those seven or eight had gone the other way, 
we're probably having a different discussion today. Yeah, and, and again, it, that's always easy that's to say as far as who wins or loses. Yep. Uh, and so that's all speculative. But from a tactical standpoint, I thought in particular in the second half, they, they had a pretty good feel for the Seahawks' defense. And don't forget, that's a very good defense. You're playing in a tough building. I, I don't know how you felt going into the game. I thought it would be a really difficult game. I was not expecting the Eagles to put up anywhere near 30 in this game. Uh, if they were to win the game, I thought this would be a 23-17 kind of game. Mm. I didn't think they were putting up 35. That front seven is still really, very, really very good. good. And with Griffin back at corner, and he's he's a, an emerging young corner, as you and I both agree. Yep. Uh, so I didn't expect them to put up big numbers. But, you know, you mentioned some plays. There were others as well. There was that completion to Aguilar for 32 yards in the third quarter, which if that was a good throw by Wentz and he gets credit for a 32-yard completion, yep. but if that was a good throw, that's a touchdown. That's the the play against Arizona. You know, where yes, he, yes. He's streaking out. Yes, uh, he yes. He was wide open he on was this wide one. Open he didn't have anybody on him on this And one, he pulled but, the string. So yep. he underthrew it, and it was still caught for 32 yards, but that should have been a touchdown. It was not a good throw. Yeah, and, but, and there were also – I mean, he converted – think three or four of those third and forever yeah. plays and in all of them you saw them attacking Seattle's coverage knowing what they were going to play and having an answer for it you know I think back to that ridiculous throw he made the 50 yarder with the right. defender straight well that over. was third and long too it was, thir- it was third and long they're in Tampa too they run post yeah yeah so the, the safety's gone because they were not anticipating post. Tampa too because right. you don't run post wheel against Tampa but, this, too. but you still had the safety getting yeah. taken away by the yeah. post route you had Nelson streaking down the right sideline you go to the play just before he fumbled out of the end zone, that throw that he made to, to Alshon on the backside post was one of my favorites, probably my favorite throw of the day because you saw the bounce in his step. It was that opening drive of the third quarter where uh, you know he hadn't looked good in the entire first half, and I thought he really right, got into a rhythm right. in that drive. Well, and they start on the play side. It was a three-by-one set. He starts on Zach Ertz, then gets to the front side post on Nelson Aguilar, who ran a great route in the middle of the field to hold the safety, and then you see him get to the backside post, hit Alshon in stride for a big play. You're talking about the, the 23-yarder? Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful because he, he looked at the Ertz-McDougal matchup first because it was the three-by-one as you said, yep. and they wanted Ertz. They always look for Ertz when it's three by one and he's one-on-one with a safety. But no, that, that was, that was high-level quarterbacking. But just getting back to you know, that long play, you don't never run a post-wheel against cover two, but it's usually not the route. That's, I, I think they anticipated cover three there because it was a long yardage situation and they anticipated cover three. And post-wheel is a very good route against beater. cover three. It's a three-beater. Yeah, so it was it was interesting going back and watching. I, I do agree, and, and you go to the run game as well. Uh, I thought overall, run game looked looked pretty good. They just had to get away from it in that second half, yeah. especially. You, you got to give the the coaching staff credit. They stuck with it early in that game, especially with Wentz going through the issues that he had in yep. the first half. Uh, really tried to help him out. I think it was seventeen runs to fifteen passes in the first half. No, and I think if the score was different, they would have stayed with the run game. Yeah. And I was particularly pleased to see them run the Wham play on the first series since right, I broke right. that down in the matchup That's show. Right. And then to have Collingsworth say he used to do that in New England with Gronkowski. So that because that was the piece I did in, right. in the matchup show. So, yep. but you just know tactically the kinds of runs that work against an upfield penetrating four three front, which we could see this week against the uh, the LA Rams. But right. we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, overall, offensive line holding up against that that defensive front. Certainly, they, had, they seem to have their issues with some twists and stunts up front in this game, but one thing I thought that was definitely interesting as well, we saw consistently throughout the course of the game, 
a lot of use of chips, you know, you, where there was the Correct. tight end and the back. Particularly on deeper drops. Yeah, yes. deeper drops. They they gave help to those tackles yeah. in this game. Yeah, and I thought Lane Johnson had a strong game. Yep. Uh, Vitae, they clearly gave help to on the deeper drops. Uh, and we look, Vitae, you're going yeah. to have to expect that he will have some bad snaps against that caliber competition. Yep. That's just the way it is. Now, you hope those bad snaps don't lead to turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, whatever it may be. And, and they didn't, but you you know going in because you're not going to chip or double on every snap, and yep. certainly you don't need to do that on three-step drops or quick five-step drops. But, you know, Vitae, he held up. That would be the best way to – he was not the reason they lost the game. So Nelson Aguilar goes for 141 right. yards. He gets the touchdown on the on that uh, rub concept down in the, in the red zone. Uh, that was a well-designed concept, really too, because well you had Jeffrey play. on the outside lifting the corners because, again, you're, you're – that was basically a rub with a wheel. Yep, and yeah. then you also had the first game for Alshon Jeffrey since signing his extension. I guess overall thoughts on Jeffrey and his extension and, the, and just the fact that he'll be here with Carson Wentz the next few years. And then also Nelson, who just continues to impress yeah. after, you know, I, especially in this game at that stadium where it was rock bottom for him against Seattle last year and you right. know, all the bad plays he had in that game. Just seeing him come back and really kind of come full circle and have a huge game against that team. Yeah, and I think what what was interesting to me was a lot of those plays. I think when when all said and done, were designed for him, not the fifty-one yarder, obviously. Right. Yep. You know, but but the one that he overthrew in, on the second drive, I yep. think it was the one that was the thirty-two yarder we spoke about. I think ultimately he's the primary on those plays. So in those situations against that defense, that tells you that the Eagles are feeling good about where Nelson Aguilar is in his development. Yeah, and it'll be interesting in this game against the L.A. Rams, a team that will at times match up base to 11 personnel. I would say more yeah. than the average team. Yeah. We'll see if uh, that can create a mismatch. There. And at times they do use, and we'll get to all this, yeah. I guess, a little more, but they do use Tremaine Johnson at times as a matchup corner, which means he would be on Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how those teams uh, match up. But uh, let's go to the defensive side of the football. I mean, this team... Especially up front, you saw the strength again. Oh, yeah. But the factor, or the the bottom line is, you have to be able to get to the Russell, Russell Wilson. Wilson factor. Yeah, and he's a very enigmatic guy to speak about because you know most people, I would assume, would talk about playing the quarterback position and playing with structure and and three step drops, five step drops, seven step drops, throwing the ball with timing with rhythm. He he did some of that, obviously, but a lot of the critical plays, uh, he moves around and he's hard to get to the ground. And his body is must be he must be in phenomenal shape. He took that shot late from Derek Barnett, and when we were watching the game for a second there, I mean, I thought where he got hit, he could have a busted sternum or broken ribs, and he yeah. just popped right back up is with no issue. Yeah, and you know you just see the the trouble even when you do have him yeah. contained. He just sneaks out. There was the, the play that he made where he almost ran for the first down. I want to say Corey Graham came up and made the stop where Fletcher Cox slips oh, around as a contained player. Yeah. He's got him wrangled. Nope, he cuts back inside. Brandon Graham's right there. No, he shakes Brandon Graham, and now he's running, and you think it's going to be a first yeah. down. Corey Graham, thankfully, comes up and makes the stop. And it just His elusiveness, his escapability is really what – that's kind of the trump card there. For, and it was an interesting Wilson. approach by Jim Schwartz. A lot of man coverage – with Bradham as a spy. Yep. So we thought it might be a lot more zone to have eyes on Wilson, but they decided to play a lot of man coverage and use Bradham as a spy, and that was that was obviously the game-planned approach because pretty much they did they certainly did it at a dime, pretty much. That was the consistent uh, approach out of dime. 
We talked a lot about Seattle's use of the empty set, and that certainly came to fruition this week. A ton of empty. Second most empty snaps in the NFL. Yeah, I, I believe it. Uh, overall thoughts in terms of uh, did it surprise you how the Eagles matched up to it? We didn't see as many pressure looks out of empty that we may have seen from Schwartz in the past. Uh, overall thoughts on how they matched up to empty? You know, I, I think for the most part they did okay. I mean, obviously they when the score was 17-10, you know, they gave up the touchdown, they gave up yep. the touchdown and they certainly got caught there. I think that was empty at a base, if I'm not mistaken. I was believe, it? I believe yeah. so, yeah. And um, I'm almost sure it was. And obviously you had Kendricks matched up on the outside out of his comfort zone against McKissick, who has a re- uh, receiver in his background. Yep. And he just ran sluggo, and he won. I mean, that's it, it looked easy, and it was, but that's a tough matchup. Yeah, and a lot of people you know, look at the blitz calls and say, like, oh, you know, why, why are you blitzing there? Well, and they, they end up getting year. burned. I mean, that's yeah. – that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you blitz <laughs> yeah. and you get burned. Uh, overall, th- any other thoughts watching from the defensive side before we move to the Rams? Um, I mean, their run defense was solid again. Yeah. I mean, other than that one phenomenal run by Davis yep. where he juked three guys, that was their run defense was, was terrific as always. Um, they played a lot of big nickel to 12 personnel, uh, which, you know, yeah. I, that might have been specific to this game. We'll see how that is going forward. Yeah, they did a little bit, if I remember right, I think that we saw a little bit of that last week to the 21 yeah. personnel with right. Chicago with right. Free Cohen. Right, but uh, clearly that was also their game plan approach to 12 personnel was to play big nickel. Yep. Um, no, I don't think it was a bad defensive performance by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, again, it comes down to the Russell Wilson factor exactly. in that game. Uh, very different challenge for the team. This totally week. different offense. It's <laughs> you couldn't go further from one side of the one spectrum to the other because you know this Seattle offense and we talked about it and the Eagles, the Eagles fans, listeners saw it. Right. Uh, it is very much organized chaos it's outside of structure it's it's Russell Wilson running around and trying to make a play whereas this offense with the Rams and Jared Goff and and Sean McVay is so well scripted Uh, so so based on timing and rhythm as good as any in the league it's really really fun to watch it's really fun Uh, to watch so many concepts Rand as you know and you and I always talk concepts on both sides of the ball um Sean McVay is I mean he he's clearly a guy he's spent a lot of time breaking down different offenses in this league and he's taken what he likes I mean he's taken from the Saints and Sean Payton with a lot of the two and three man route combinations to the strong side of the formation he's taken a lot from the Patriots with the shifts the motions the stacks the bunch he's taken a lot from Kyle Shanahan with the focus on the in-breaking routes I mean he's pulled from a lot of really good offensive coaches and sort of put it in an amalgam of his own making. And this is a really well-structured, well-designed offense. But I don't know if you noticed one thing, and they've been doing this a lot more. It's been very interesting to me. It's almost run like a college offense in the sense that Goff gets to the line of scrimmage. Have you noticed this? Yes. He gets to the line of scrimmage way before the 15 seconds hit on the shot clock, which is when the um, – What's it called again? The um, the play clock? The pl- no. Oh, for the, for the, the, uh, uh, the, the personnel groups in terms of changing No, no it, where he, he can no longer speak oh, to. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Okay, gotcha. Yeah. The, the, the headset. Yeah, the headset. headset. Yeah, yes. sorry. God, I just sure. had a, a, That's all right. had a brain freeze there. A couple hours of sleep. I know, I know. It's, yeah. I'm working on three and a half hours of yep, sleep here. Sure. But before the headset goes off at 15 seconds where he can no longer talk to Gob, so they get to the line of scrimmage maybe with 24, 23 seconds left, and McVeigh is talking to Goff 
through all that till 15 seconds comes when it cuts off, and it's almost like college football. It's almost like he's back at, at Cal running the air raid offense. There are times where you can see him even look to the yes, sideline. Yes, absolutely. He'll, he'll come up, he'll survey, and you can tell you know they're, they're communicating in helmet. And he'll take a peek over to the sideline and then kind of reset some things. It's a very structured offense. It starts with the outside zone run game with Gurley, and everything kind of works off that, uh, particularly their play-action pass game. High play-action team. Uh, These are the Shanahan roots in terms of the the way that that's built. Absolutely. Great point. Um, I think Goff's in the top three in the league in terms of number of dropbacks where there's play-action involved. a lot of uh, off-the-play action, they have a lot of two-man route concepts that involve crossers and vertical routes. They're really good with bunch, and they, they're really good with bunch versus both man and zone. New England. Very, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and they line up a lot in three-by-one, and there's two three-by-ones. Yep. It's either Watkins is X to the boundary or the tight end is X to the boundary. Yeah. So th- there's a lot – there's a lot to defend from a concept standpoint. They play a lot of multiple tight end where you'll see yep. Tyler Higby with Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett's yep. caught a touchdown. He's the rookie from South Alabama. Yep. Caught a touchdown as the X-ISO in the red zone against to the, Arizona. To the field, yeah. which was very interesting because normally X-ISO is to the boundary. It's a large it was, island out there, there against there. tight end. Yeah, and they had him on Buda Baker, and there's probably about a, what, a seven or eight-inch uh, yeah. height difference there. Probably. Which, which I think they knew when yeah. they called the play. Exactly right. And, and you just – you look at all the ways that they are able to attack defenses, and all the, and also the other thing they do a good job of too, using jet motion. They finally Tavon Austin. You talk about Jared Goff getting with a coach that can leverage his strengths. Tavon Austin now getting with a creative coach that can really kind of leverage his yep. strengths too. Used as a runner on, out of the backfield, not just on jets and tosses. He'll run inside zone. He'll run outside zone. They he use runs him out of the I formation. Running back. Which yeah. is, by the way, he did that at West Virginia. Yeah, at times he did. No question. Oklahoma. Think, yeah, the game against Oklahoma. Didn't he, he have about like 260 30, yards as an yeah, eye-back? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you're seeing that Tavon Austin being used in all the different things they do with him in terms of trying to distract linebackers. eyes. It all yep. goes back to really manipulating those second- and third-level defenders off of backfield action to really open up the vertical, right. inter- namely the intermediate pass. It's not necessarily deep shot, which it is, they'll, they'll go over you the know, top, but it's the intermediate passing It's game. It's the same concepts. It's funny how football, it's, it's all, the objective is the same, but, but different people get to those objectives differently. It's, it's not a whole lot different than the RPO concept. Right. They just do it differently. Yep. They're trying to create conflict for second and third level defenders in the middle of the field. Yep. That's what they're trying to do. Yeah, and when you look at just the, how the Eagles are going to try and defend this, it, it ultimately comes down to some of the same things you talk about when, and again, it's funny, talking about defending like the zone read and the read option element. Everybody's got to be disciplined. If you're, if, you're a line, if you're Nigel Bradham and Michael Kendricks uh, and you see outside zone run action, you've got to fill your gap in the run fit. You know, so if you're a B-gap player, if you're a C-gap player, you've got to fill your gap. But then once you sense, oh, this is play action, now you got to get to your landmark, or right. you got to plaster a receiver right, on the back right. end, and you've got to be able to to hug up on a receiver and take away that threat. I thought that uh, New Orleans, especially, did a really good job of that in that game where they were able to beat the Rams, where uh, you kind of saw their ability yes. to kind of hold up in the intermediate area of the field. The linebackers did a really good job in that game. Well, the other thing too is this is where stopping the run game becomes absolutely critical yeah. because I'm not saying that Bradham and Kendricks aren't important in the run game. But you'd like to be in a situation where your front four can can win at the point of attack and can control the line of scrimmage. How do you feel about that matchup, their O-line against our D-line? 
Well, I always like the Eagles' D line, but this is this is not a bad O line. Yep. I mean, this this is a professional O line. You have uh, Andrew Whitworth, the new free agent signing at yep. left tackle. Uh, you've got Roger Saffold at left guard. At left guard. I'm trying to remember the rest of the line. Sullivan's at head. center. Yeah, John Sullivan. He's having is a good center. season. He is. He's, I he think Brown from place. Louisville's the right Jamon guard. Brown. Yep. And then the right and tackle is, is the, the Wisconsin kid. Yep, yeah, who, yeah. It's and a pretty good it's line. It's a pretty good line. It's a good group. It's a now, as you and I were discussing. Um, I think if you can get them into long yardage situations, which obviously is the goal of every defense. Not, and I'd like to be able to do that week to week. Yep. Right, right. But in this case, I think it's really critical because they do start with the outside zone run game with Gurley. So if you can get them into a longer yardage situation, I think you can pressure Goff a little bit. And because he's such a program player, but in a good way, you know, I don't want people to think that's, that's a negative. When an offense is so well structured like that, your quarterback has things so many has so many things to find. I think if you can get a lot of bodies around Goff, you can impact him negatively. This isn't the same kind of challenge in, in the least as what you had with Russell Wilson. Oh, God, no. It's, you know yeah. where Jared Goff's going to be. Yes. Right? He's not immobile, yeah. but he's really a pocket quarterback. When he when he has to break down, that's not that's like the opposite of where he's going to be strong. Right, he's right. not going to break. Right. He's not going to make guys miss like Carson and be able to create for himself and then make a big play no, down the field. That's no. just that's just not his game. <clears throat> no. Um so it, it, it's going to be really it's going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be a really fun game to watch. It, and it wouldn't surprise me at all they they've done a little bit of this and I almost pulled a play for this for you to break down for Eagles game plan was where they do a lot of the the play action and having him do the, like the middle like the half boots. The half right? boot, yeah. So you've got you're just uh, changing say, the launch right. point. It's so not it, really a true boot. Exactly. Yeah. So you you know you've got a fake run to the left yeah. but you have a pass going to the right. Right, yeah. But I at times, they haven't done as much of it. I kind of expected a little bit more when I went and watched them, just kind of knowing what the background was. More of the throwback stuff where, you know, you're faking run left, and then it looks like you're passing right, but you're actually going to throw it to a tight end or a well, back they, that, leaking out the backside. That's in their playbook, believe that, me. They've done it a few yes, times. Yes. There was one I pulled uh, against Minnesota. It ended up going for a penalty, a 15-yard right, game down right. the field. But you see that ability to be – wouldn't surprise me if no. they tried to bust that out in this game. No, and, and the thing I like about – Sean McVay is he does just enough but not too much. In other words, you don't watch that offense and feel like it's a gimmick offense, but he does just enough that you can get hurt by that. Yeah, it, it's a it's, it's a really, a really good, good offense, yeah. really well schemed. You know that's you know we've talked many times. I've always been a really big believer in coaching, and you know that goes back to people I've known in my thirty eight years at NFL Films and people I've had the good fortune to speak to, and. Is there any better example of, of how coaching has impacted a young quarterback than Jared Goff from year one to year two? No question. No question. I mean, uh, and again, going back to even guys like Tavon Austin, Sammy oh. Watkins, and how he, productive he's been. You've seen a lot of these players, you know, they bring in Robert Woods, and he's been. I mean, he's hurt, productive. but he was having a year that was, you know, his best year by far. They bring, they bring in Cooper Cup as yeah. a mid round pick. Talk about Cooper Cup. Uh, he's a guy I want to talk about later in the show, but. Uh, his overall impact, I, I, it's pretty similar to how, say, like a Jamison Crowder was used last year in, for Sean McVay out in Washington. Yeah, well, Cooper Cup, and I, I think you and I uh, sort of agreed on him when we, he came out of Eastern Washington. I made the comment, and a lot of people put it on Twitter, that I, th I said he could roll out of bed and play in the slot. Yep. And that's what I felt. And he's really good. He's a really precise route runner. Uh, for the most part, has good hands. He's dropped a few more than I thought, but he's got good hands. And um, he has a real good feel for understanding how to run routes versus man and zone, which is very rare for a rookie. He's, he's advanced. And he's critical because in that offense, the slot receiver is important. Yeah. 
Yeah, no question. Yeah. It, the more I, the more we talk about it, I, I expect that this team will go twelve personnel, twenty one personnel. You think Tavon so? Tavon Austin in the backfield. I bet you they try and do what Seattle did. Where well, it's it's interesting you say that because they have been heavy, heavy eleven personnel all season. Interesting. They they're about seventy four percent eleven personnel for the season and. I didn't chart them this week, so I don't have that specific number. But last week in the first game, Woods was out. They were even higher, 11%. They were 85% mm. 11 last week because they like Josh Reynolds. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they Yeah, no, it'll, that doesn't mean they'll be that this week. Yeah, right. But I'm just saying for the season, that's what the numbers what reflect. Yeah. You go to the other side. And you have a scheme yeah, and a coach and, yeah. A, yeah, and a talent. That's they have no awesome. players on defense. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very good scheme and, and personnel on that side of the ball. And you got to start with the defensive line. You look at Robert Quinn and Michael Brockers. But first off, Aaron Donald, the three technique in that three, one gap 3-4 three, scheme with Wade Phillips. And talk about just what that what is a one gap 3-4. Well, as soon as people hear 3-4, they think of two gap and uh defensive linemen hand fighting offensive linemen lining up right in front of them what we saw from the eagles defense here under chip kelly and bill davis yeah that's sort of the old school three four yep you know that's back in the belichick days when he had richard seymour and players like that the big guys the ted washington's but what wade phillips has essentially done for much of his career certainly over the last 10 11 12 years is he still lines up with three four personnel but they line up with four three gap principles. So, in other words, Aaron Donald does not line up head up as a, as a three four D end, which is essentially what he is. Right. He does not line up head up on an offensive tackle. He still lines up as a three technique between the guard and the tackle. So it's really a one gap three four, as you said. That's the way they play. They just happen to have three four personnel on the field. So, what is the 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 benefit, I guess, in your mind to that, you know, what, like that would be, that was one of the things I always wondered, like, you know, when I was coming up and learning the difference there. Well, if you're going to do that, why not just play a four, three? Is it because now you've got those two stand up guys and you could be a little bit more flexible from a pressure standpoint, yes. who's going to come and who's not. That, that's always been a, a difference between a four, three front and a three, four front is you have greater flexibility from your base look. Yeah. And, and pressure flexibility. And that's one reason why uh, the 3-4 has, through cycles in the NFL, has always been more in vogue because you have greater flexibility and versatility with your concepts. When you watch that defense, they do, just like the Eagles do, they do a really good job of creating one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Aaron Donald on the inside. And you know, oh. Whether they go... Five over five, whether they go zone exchange blitzes, where they mug up a linebacker on the line of scrimmage, you know, whatever they do, the how they line up helps create one on ones for Aaron Donald, and he's really, really good. He's oh. really explosive. He's good with his really hands. Good. He's tough, high motor, really competitive. He's he's an excellent, excellent player. And we really haven't mentioned Robert Quinn, who's who I loved coming out of North Carolina. He was a top ten pick. He didn't play his entire junior I know. year. He had that neck injury, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. I know. He and I think he had a, he had off field stuff too oh. in terms of like uh, benefits from you know boosters and things like that. But I'm sure he's, the o he's probably the only player. guy that that's ever happened to benefits from as boosters. as far as we know. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, no. And Brockers is a is a physical bar. He came out. The same <coughs> I met Cox. Michael Brockers at I was at the draft that year in New York, and I was actually uh, working uh, the draft, and so I interviewed him. And, and I stood next to him. And, and it's a large man. I'm 6'4". He's one of the few guys when I stood next to 
I felt really small. <laughs> I mean, he's a big man. Yeah. When you look at that group, and even some of the young guys, too, that are coming up, uh, they brought in the rookie Samson Epcubom from uh, you know Eastern what? Washington. That kid, kid flashes, is a huh? good player. He, you're exactly <laughs> right. That kid flashes. Yeah, that was super athletic. Yeah. Kid, undersized a little bit, but yeah. uh, coming from a small school, he's because he's had to play more uh, with Barwin being out. That, and Barwin, he was out last week. Yeah, I, I don't, don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think he's yeah. going to be playing. Okay. We'll see. I, yeah. From what I read about the injury last week, it didn't yeah. seem like he'd be back. But uh, Ecubom is playing. And then he gets a linebacker level, and you have a former top 10 safety in Mark Barron. Who's found a home. Yeah, and he's, he's certainly has settled in there linebacker. And Alec Ogletree is one of the most physically gifted linebackers in the NFL. Oh, he's 245 pounds, and he's, he's athletic as any inside stack backer in the league. So how does Wade Phillips use those guys? What can Eagles fans expect from those two in your mind? Um, well, Barron, well, he'll be the matchup on Zach Ertz when they play man. Barron is the predominant yep. tight end matchup. Ogletree will play the back, but it's usually Barron who matches up to the tight end. Um, but the thing is, is they're a fast defense. They're, really fast. They're really fast. And that's, it's hard to get to the perimeter with Barron and Ogletree. Yep. And it'll be very interesting to see how the Eagles choose to run the football because we know they do like to go outside in their run game at times. And though I'm telling you, I've seen Barron uh, you know, make a ton of plays you know, we always look at the Luke Keekleys of the world, those kinds of players who are able to run people down, you know, inside out. Sure. Barron can he well, he's a safety. He can really do that. And Ogletree, of course, as you said, he's another guy with great speed. I think he went to George as a safety. I believe so. Yeah, and they yeah. made him a linebacker. When you look at that secondary, who stands out the most to you when you watch them on the back end? You know, I think that's where they can be had a little bit. I mean, we mentioned earlier that Tremaine Johnson at times will be a matchup corner, and if he is, it'll be Jeffrey in this game. Uh, Nikel Roby's been their slot. He missed last week. We don't know what his status is for this week. So what that's forced them to do is move LaMarcus Joyner, a starting safety, into the slot and bring in one of your favorites from a few years ago, Blake Countess. That's at, right, former Eagles draft pick. Yeah, as, uh, as another safety. But I think – I think they can be had. If you can protect, yep. I think they can be had in the pass game. If you're the Eagles, you're Doug Peterson, you're Frank Reich, you're John DeFilippo, what are you, what are you looking at in terms of this game as must-dos uh, as an Eagles offense? Well, in the pass game, I think there's, there's a matchup in the slot that you'd be excited about, assuming it's – well, whether it's Joyner or Roby. They're small guys. Yep. You, I think you'll look at Aguilar. I think you're looking inside at Aguilar in this game. Um, you know, that's a man-to-man matchup, one-on-one matchup I'd be excited play about. play a lot of man. Yeah, that I'd yep. be excited about. Um, the key thing, as we said, is you have to be able to protect. I mean, I, I still like Ertz on Barron, but Barron is an athletic guy. I mean, that's not – to me, this is arguably, uh, in, just in terms of physical athleticism, as tough a matchup for Ertz, assuming he goes. Yep. Uh, as as he would face. Yeah, I, I I agree. And then you look at the run game; they've they have been gashed on the ground this year and because so I, they're so aggressive upfield. Yeah, that's the reason. They, it's they're they're a classic case. We hear that in Philly too, but they like to play the the run on the way to the quarterback at times. Right. And uh, except the, the Eagles have played the run on the way. To the they, yeah, they've <laughs> done that really well. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Rams have at times struggled. Yeah. And uh, you know, I so I think there's yards to be had there. Now we get into the kinds of runs. Again, you know, Aaron Donald is a great three technique. You, you, 
do you try to you know wham him, trap him? I think you'll see some of that. Yeah, and you talk about some of the outside zone runs. Yeah, uh, which again, it's that, hard. That gets that second level it's hard. Like, yeah. speed there. That's going to be tough. Yep, it's going to be a fun matchup. I, I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm glad that it's a, a Sunday afternoon game and not a, a uh, Sunday night game. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't was unhappy when this when they, uh, last week they said Baltimore Pittsburgh would stay on Sunday night. Yeah, I'm I'm going to share that exuberance <laughs> there with you. Uh, well, Greg, I'm excited to watch it. Appreciate the time here as always on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, Rant. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to a Fairfax fan who went on iTunes and rated the show and left a comment saying how much he enjoys listening to the podcast each and every week. So thanks to Fairfax fan and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you we would break down a rookie that has looked good for the Rams so far this fall. That player is wide receiver Cooper Cup. We talked about him earlier with Greg. Let's dive a little bit deeper on him this week in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, so Cooper Cup coming out of the draft this this past spring, 6'1 and 5'8", 204 pounds, actually pretty good size for a wide receiver. Coming out of Eastern Washington, the FCS level, ridiculously productive. 428 catches in his career was the most that I saw for any receiver drafted in the last five seasons coming out of college at any level of competition. Four-time first-team all-conference player, two-time first-team All-American at the FCS level. Saw him in person in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and he won practice player of the week down there for the wide receiver position. And you're talking about a guy who was a four-year starter for Bo Baldwin out there in that shotgun spread offense, lined up mostly in the slot, but also at Z and at X on the outside. He also got some reps in the Wildcat as well. They just wanted to get the ball into his hands. Decent athlete overall that gets the most out of his foot speed, and he's more quick than he is explosive and fast. Really slippery player that can shake defenders in a phone booth and skate by. He's an above-average college route runner that ran most of the routes you'll find in an NFL playbook and showed a good understanding of how to get open. He can still clean some things up at the top of his stem, and he has to this point in his NFL career. And I would say he's good, not great, but at a good place, and he seems very coachable and mobile. And like I said, he has gotten better even since watching him last fall as a route runner. What really impressed me was he maximizes his catch radius. He's able to make highlight reel grabs away from his frame. Very good hands. Very reliable receiver. Only had two uncontested drops all season last year as a really high-volume target in that offense. Overall, the kid rarely let the ball hit the ground. Really competitive. He will go up and battle in contested situations, and he's got the strength to fight through contact. He was used in the screen game just to get the ball in his hands. Had a real knack for making plays in yards after catch situations, making defenders miss in space, and picking up extra yardage. Now, from a negative standpoint, I thought he showed some flashes with his hands at the line of scrimmage, but wanted to see him get a lot better against the line or against press coverage of the line of scrimmage. That was honestly my number one concern with him. But I'll tell you what, and I Ben Fennell, the guy I work with every single day here with the Eagles, who you know watch a lot of tape with, made a great point. The way that they use him with the Rams, he is constantly stacked, constantly put in bunch. So the, you know what? 
that coaching staff, they got, they get a kid who struggles getting off press. They put him in position where he doesn't have to get off press. He is hid in that formation, lined up off the line of scrimmage again in a stack or a bunch set, and now he's able to just release out into the secondary. Speed and explosiveness are not strength of his game. There were some plays where he got caught from behind or he would have gotten caught from behind at a level high, or a higher level of competition at the FCS level. Doesn't fly in and out of breaks at a really high level. He's not going to wow you with his physical tools. A lot of production did come in the screen game, but and I wasn't crazy about him as a blocker. But overall, when you looked at Cooper Cup, I saw an above-average route runner with decent athleticism, really good ball skills, really reliable hands. I saw a guy who was going to play in the league. To me, he profiled more as a really reliable slot receiver than somebody who would consistently win on the outside. But overall, I really liked him as a player, and that's kind of what he's turned into as a rookie early on in this L.A. Rams offense. When Jared Goff needs a big play, He's going to go to Cooper Cup, not necessarily down the field in the, you know 30, 35-yard catch, but if he needs a 17-yard pickup, if he needs a 9-yard pickup, you can expect Cooper Cup is going to be somewhere early in the progression there for Jared Goff. So overall, he's going to be a player that the Eagles are going to have to account for in the slot. Look out for that matchup with he and Patrick Robinson in this game. All right, great stuff from Greg Cosell. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app, thank you. And, again, one more time, just please take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there to answer on the show. I love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you all next week.